this week's episode, we will be discussing issues that may be disturbing or triggering to some. Some things we'll be discussing will include it, but are not limited to mentions of sexual assault, coercion, mental health struggles, and more. If you or someone you know is struggling, please refer to this episode description for resources and support. While this episode will not include either party from the following case, we are discussing it with their concern. Nine months ago, our former co-host Mark was accused of sexual assault and coercion. The survivor contacted us to disclose his actions and urged us to respond accordingly by holding him accountable and removing him from the podcast. To tell you the truth, we were shocked. At the time, we did our best to express our sincere support for her and confirmed we would talk to him right away. When we did, we expressed our disappointment and did our best to ensure he understood the severity of his actions. And honestly, from my point of view, it felt like he understood what he had done, wasn't aware of it at the time, and genuinely felt terrible. At the time, when it came down to making a decision about moving forward, Kayla and I felt trapped. None of us felt qualified to make any executive decisions, and we felt our options were to remove Mark with the fear of putting the podcast in jeopardy or keep things as they were. In all of our group discussions, Kayla and I were adamant that we wanted to remove Mark regardless of the cost. In the moment, I didn't feel like deplatforming was the answer. As a group of friends, we tried to have internal conversations about what we should do, if anything. Time went by, we waited for a good option, and therefore, justice and accountability went unserved for too long. Ultimately, the survivor trusted us with her story, and we failed her. For that, we are eternally sorry. We know we were wrong, yet, We still don't know what would have been right, so we reached out to experts for help. The survivor-founded youth-led organization, Safeway. Together, we've been working to bring you two episodes around this topic. And honestly, the planning has been slow. With growing disconnect from us, Mark left the podcast before the episodes were recorded. He left on his own accord and even got a sympathetic goodbye episode dedicated to him. Shortly after this episode aired, we received a lot of backlash from the survivor and her friends due to our mishandling of the situation. After talking to her some more, we agreed that we have continued to make the wrong choices in response to Mark's actions. So here we are today, doing the thing we should have done from the beginning, take action. In today's episode, we are sitting down with Safe Bay board member, advocate, and activist, Ayla Mansman to take an honest look at the aftermath of having someone close to you be accused of sexual assault. We aim to explore the differences between intent and impact, what accountability can look like, what growth can be, and if forgiveness is possible. Thank you for having me. Of course. It's it's an important conversation. and I feel like it wouldn't have been right to have it without someone as qualified as you. (laughs) Well, that's generous. I guess I just wanted to start and check in and say how are all of you feeling? I mean, it's been a long time since you've all talked about this. Yeah, it's been um, honestly almost a year since all of this kind of first happened, which is wild to think about because it's been a ridiculous amount of time. And it feels like we should have done this sooner. I mean, that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know. the, The situation was... If I look back at when I first found out about these allegations at first and when I first found out about the situation and what had happened and talking to the survivor and having her come to us for support, 
it was a very difficult time to navigate because on one hand, there's this person who has been our friend since childhood, um, who did a bad thing to someone who didn't deserve it at all, and is now very hurt by his actions. And so there was such a weird, there was such an, there was such a difficult dilemma in understanding and figuring out what to do next. And for a long time, it felt like I was kind of just frozen in place. Mm-hmm. It was a very difficult feeling of that. But I think as time went by, I was I was constantly having like, oh my God, what should we do? What do we do now? Like months are passing. How do we talk about it? Do we talk about it? Um, and so when Mark left the podcast a couple months ago, while we were in the middle of kind of planning our action and our response, it was, it was very, you know, again, I guess eye-opening when the survivor reached out and was like, what are you guys doing? Nothing. You're not doing anything. And I was like, you know, I was very, it kind of, kind of put this very fair, like, oh my God, like, what am I doing? This realization that maybe we should be doing more. And so, like I've spent these last couple months wanting to do that but of course it's like hard to understand what how to respond to all of this sure yeah um when I first found out I was very surprised I think we were all taken aback by what had happened um I just felt really disappointed and angry in the moment with the entire situation and I think her trusting me enough to come to me and tell me what had happened. I just feel like I totally just misplaced that trust that she gave me because we didn't really do much in the moment. I mean, we let him stay on the podcast and Thomas and I, we were adamant that we didn't want him on there. Um, But we were scared of, what would happen if he left regarding the podcast, you know, things would fall apart. And so looking back on it, it was basically us choosing the podcast over sharing her story, um, which obviously was not the right choice to make. Um, and as time has passed, I just start to feel more and more guilty because to this day, I still don't really know how to approach having a conversation with her if she even wants that. And I totally understand if she doesn't because I I would probably be feeling the same feelings that she is. Um, so just a lot of guilt and confusion, disappointment. And I just hope that in one way or another, we can try to make this right, even though so much time has passed that it sort of reaches a point of, now you're doing this because you know i've told you twice and it 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 just feels wrong in a way that now we're starting to have this conversation and it's an important one to have i just wish it could have happened sooner but again we were confused and we didn't know the exact steps to take so i'm glad that we are doing something now even if it is later. Yeah, I mean, 
like Kayla said, we were very adamant about removing Mark from the podcast, even if it meant hurting the dynamic of it or whatever. But I just, I remember feeling very trapped as to what I was able to do. Because even though I was advocating for him to get removed, I was told that there were legal issues involved with talking about it and removing him because of it. And we were working on the proper response by getting experts involved, but it was taking so long that I wasn't really sure what was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're here today. I'm hoping we can find a way to talk about it and move forward. Yeah. I think that there was a, for one, none of us could truly agree on what decision, decision we needed to make, what steps we needed to make. Um, like they said, they were very adamant about removing Mark from the podcast. And this is where I think it gets difficult. Because um, for one, looking back on it now, I was the one that ultimately made the final decision to say, I don't think removing him is the answer, and so we're not going to do that. And when I made that, and when I made that decision, it was based on a couple of factors. First, I I felt that removing him, what I felt like there was a potential for good, a good discussion to come out of this because, you know, you hear about sexual assault so much, and you hear about you know, it's a scary man in an alleyway. And in this case, it was our friend. It was a childhood friend, someone we have done a podcast with, who we have known for years, who we've gone to school with, someone who we felt like we, you know, thought we knew their character. And so now when this story comes out, it kind of shocked me in that way. And it's hard to instantly villainize someone that you've been close to for so long. And so to me, I saw Mark and I felt like, you know, I think when, when we initially talked to him about it and when we had a conversation and tried to hold him accountable by making sure he understood the severity of his actions, the impact it has had on the survivor, I felt that he knew what he had done. I felt like he knew that it was wrong and that he was taking it seriously and felt guilt and that was my assumption. Um, I was able to make that assumption because I have known him as a person, so I felt like I could trust that. And so I felt, well, if in my head I believe that Mark is a good person and he knows what he did is wrong, he must also be willing to hold himself accountable and grow as a person. And I truly do believe that you can grow after this sort of thing and there, there should be room to have that accountability. And so what does that look like? I didn't know at the time, and my one of my assumptions was, well, maybe we could turn this into a discussion publicly, because in my head I had this rationing, you know, this rationale that, well, what if we use Mark's mistake and he kind of takes responsibility and owns up to it by sharing his story publicly, make like you know not hiding the fact that he did something, but saying this is how I'm responding to it. This is, these are the actions I'm taking to be a better man. And that's what I wanted to happen. And so I was like, 
we should plan episodes. I think we should, you know, talk about this publicly, have this platform, use it for good and inspire other men that might be in a situation who feel hopeless that there's no change after something like that, that, you know, it is possible. So that was one reason is I wanted to record some sort of episode with, in partnership with an organization like Safeway and talk about, you know, what does that look like? The second reason, which I don't think is valid and in retrospect, I regret having this be a part of what influenced me is that I felt that our dynamic, that the podcast was at risk without Mark in the moment because there was some other personal stuff going on in my life and with our friendships, I felt that if Mark left, I my mental health would also deteriorate and the podcast dynamic would fall apart and I just would not be able to continue doing it, which of course now was a very selfish reason. Um, it was also the wrong reason and the wrong assumption to have made. So I do take full accountability for making that decision, which was definitely selfish and could have been handled better. Um, but ultimately, I I think with what I knew at the time, I I still feel confident that I that deplatforming to me wasn't necessary necessarily the answer and that's also something I hope you can talk about a little bit more yeah I think there's a couple things that you three just said that uh, sparked some thoughts um I so I think Safe Bay Safe Bay through and through is a youth survivor organization um all of what we do is prevention and advocacy and believing survivors and supporting survivors and making sure that their rights are fulfilled and all the things. And so a conversation like this is not only nuanced for us, for me, but for everyone. Um, so first off, I think it's impressive that we're even having this conversation. And I think it's so important. I always say that the justice system fails survivors every single day. 3% of rapists go to, go to jail. And that, I mean, that statistic alone is staggering. It isn't the only one in this issue that is just shocking and horrific and terrible. Um, but while the justice system fails survivors every day, the education system fails everyone. No one has ever properly been taught consent in sex education, ever. Um, so that leaves young people up to their own devices to do their own education, their own research, and to figure out how to navigate their first relationships, their first sexual experiences, all on their own. And that leaves us to magazines, to movies, to porn, to not super great or factual resources to conduct your life off of. Um, and with all of that said, that leaves us to this place, that leaves us to now, where we have young people, us, teenagers, high school students, middle school students, college students, and I mean everyone, that leaves us in the position of being both the judge and juror in any sort of justice or accountability 
for any case like this. Um, and I've been in a similar situation as all of you where a friend of mine was accused. I'd only ever heard his side of the story. I never heard the survivor's side of the story. And I mean, it's a, it's a very long story, but it's essentially the same thing. And I made many missteps in me who I, who is as educated as you can possibly be at 18 years old in this issue, if I didn't know what to do and I can sit here and say I made some bad choices in my friendship with this person, then that means no one knows what to do. And nor should we. We shouldn't have to be in this position, but here we are and now we're going to talk about it because I think it affects everyone. I feel like there's so many layers to this and it's something that happens so often that it's hard to even understand where to start because the first questions that come to my mind is what is the right answer what is the wrong response how do you hold your friends accountable what does accountability look like because to us the situation happens the very first issue the very first question on, on our mind is we know we have to hold them accountable that's what you hear every day is hold rapists accountable hold um assaulters accountable you know, hold everyone accountable. And in this case, it's like, okay, we have this friend who is in this situation and we need to hold him accountable as friends. Like, what do we do? First thing is like, okay, well, let's talk to him. Mm-hmm. We talk to him, make sure he understood, make sure he understands that his actions are very serious. This survivor came to us for help to talk to him about it and hold him accountable as friends. And so we, we did that. I remember during our conversation, we just kind of, you know, pointed out the faults in his behavior, the faults in the way he treats women, his view of women, his relationship with them, um, and tried to urge him to break habits that we felt were unhealthy and work towards breaking those. And then after that, we kind of were just like, well, like, honestly, Mark, we, this is disappointing. This is extremely disappointing. We don't know what else to tell you. Like, it seems like it was a, terrible thing that happened and i guess all we can do now is just trust that you truly feel guilty about it right and so it's like well, what what do you do as friends past talking to them what else is there to do yeah i think what's difficult is that talking to them is the talking to anyone is the first step of accountability uh but talking to them and then trusting it's trusting that they feel guilt, but also trusting that they have the knowledge to know how to do better. Um, so I think accountability in my mind looks like conversations followed by education, followed by guilt, the knowledge that guilt alone isn't going to solve this issue and make sure that you don't cause harm again in the future. Feeling guilty is only a reflection of a person's morals, not the extent in which they know how to do better. And that, I mean, that's really important. And none of us can sit here and gauge how educated a person actually is. We all have no idea. We can all attend the same sex ed class at the same high school 
with the same teacher and still all walk away with a different understanding of sex and intimacy and relationships. And that alone is super messed up and a problem that is going to take a long time to tackle and that we're working on. But in the meantime, what do we do now? And I think for this case and for many cases, the answer is taking it upon ourselves as friends to hold someone accountable beyond just a conversation. When I think about the case with my former friend, I think about how I started with a conversation. I did exactly like you did. And I said, okay, what are the details? How do you feel? And initially he had said, you know, I know, I know where I went wrong now. I feel guilty. This is terrible. Uh, I'm sorry is where the conversation started. And then I made the misstep of leaving it there and trusting. And whether that was naive or whatever, I mean, it can be labeled as many things, but it wasn't until later that he had been accused again by another person that I realized I, I messed up. And it was actually my younger brother who said to me, you of all people should know that you didn't do enough. And that even though you didn't know the survivor and you've never heard the survivor's story, who cares? That doesn't give you, that's, that doesn't absolve you of the responsibility of just blatantly trusting in someone's good intentions because intentions and impact are two very different things and need to be removed from one another because at the end of the day, you need to be held accountable for not only your intent, but primarily your impact. And I think that's what we're talking about with this case, right? Yeah. I think that was what was so difficult navigating is that it wasn't as clear cut as he, you know, when looking at the details of the case, when I, I, I got the details, it was like, okay, this looks like it wasn't something that was, I knew what I was doing. I knew what it was wrong. I meant to cause harm. Mm-hmm. It felt more like miseducation, consent miseducation. It felt like, you know, Mark wasn't aware that his actions could have a very serious and severe impact and it could be considered sexual assault, and it was. And so when talking to Mark about his point of view of the situation, there was a feeling of, like, I could see, like, this was a failure of our education system, like you said. And so that's why I also felt like, you know, if, if ultimately who could this not happen to? Because like, like, you know, we know like media is very much romanticizing this, this persistency. It romanticizes, um, playful nose and under you know like mm-hmm. saying no over and over until he chases you to prove that he wants you 
And I think all of that affects teens and young people and everyone really and leads to situations like this where if, you know, let's say you are in a relationship that is sexual with someone, there's a very fine line that can get crossed between, you know, was this a playful note, a good note, a bad note? And then also how do you navigate um, consent when the media tells you that it's good to chase while also being aware of the fact that consent is such a delicate thing. And I think to me, that's why I was like, I think this was just a miseducation, which is why in my brain I believe, well, then maybe there is possible, you know, it's not as clear as cut as like, I don't want to associate with you. There was, I think you can't grow from this, which I think is a great distinction about it. So for us, as friend, as sitting here, for us, as people that have never directly been accused of sexual assault, but as people that have that have been friends and have known people that have been accused, that kind of removes us from the direct case somewhat. Um, so from our standpoint, right now, let's break down consent. Consent for a long time has been labeled with a phrase, no means no. And a few years ago, there was a case that really initiated this expansion of the phrase where consent is not about a no, it's about a yes. We talk about at Safe Bay all the time how you can't teach consent without talking about pleasure, which will has never... <laughs> health teachers are terrified to ever talk about pleasure. Um, and so are parents, most parents for that matter. Uh, but I really do believe you can't talk about consent without talking about pleasure. And that's where you get into the yes. Consent is sexy. So in my opinion, super sexy. Like if someone is like, Oh, how does that feel? Is that good? Do you like that? What turns you on? All of those questions are communication and lead you to consent. If someone's like, I actually really don't like this, but try this, there you go. Now you have your answer that you're leading to the best sexual encounter you can have. And, but instead we're led to believe that consent is just a yes or a no. It's more of this preliminary contract that you're just verbally agreeing to before you get to the good stuff when that's not true at all, but that's what we're led to believe without any proper education. So with that foundation set, if you don't know that, imagine how much, I mean, for so many people don't know that. And for those people, that's going to take a lot of experimentation that's going to suck and not be as fun. Like just to put it plainly, it's not going to be as fun for a long time until you figure that out for yourself and with your partner and etc. So if we can start to think about consent as this ongoing thing of pure enthusiasm, I mean, that'll solve our problem. Like this overarching problem of, sexual assault and this lack of understanding of consent. But for this in particular, 
there seems to be a misunderstanding with your with Mark, with your friend. And the biggest problem is that if you aren't held accountable to the extent in which you someone has now learned what not to do and then even go beyond that and learn what to do, then someone's going to continue to cause harm in the future, whether they know it or intend to do that or not. And that's the most dangerous part. So what can you do as friends? I mean, is there anything else? Like you said, Mm -hmm. trust isn't enough. Trust isn't enough. So conversations and continuous conversations and follow up and you can, I mean, this is going to be like a shameless plug of safeway.org and go to our online, totally free curriculum that anyone can take. My, my former friend, the last thing I sent to him was the link to our curriculum and say, do better. Here you go. It's free. You can be the best boyfriend and the best at sex if you learn this. Yeah. Hopefully he did. And that's the other thing that when we talk about, it's not just a conversation. What about your friendship dynamic? I think that's a big issue because a lot of social media teaches you that if someone you know is accused of sexual assault, you should instantly, you know, block them, remove them as follower, never speak to them again, isolate them. Is that a good response or can we be doing more to not isolate, but actually even push at them even more? I mean, in my opinion, I originally, my thinking was very black and white. I, there was a, I don't know if it went viral here, but there was this very popular graphic that everyone was posting online on their stories that was like, if I'm friends or if I follow your abuser, let me know and I'll change that. I've shared that to my story so many times. Uh, And then it wasn't until maybe a year ago that I really did a lot of thinking and did this exploration into our education system and came to the determination that this issue amongst everything in the world is not black and white. And so I feel that if we do this if we lean into cancel culture and if we try to exile people from our friend groups and from our schools and communities, none of us have the ability to put all perpetrators on an island and say, all right, call it good. We've done our, we've done our part here. We have removed harmful subjects from our society. None of us have that power. And so in my opinion, the more uh, the more progressive and positive response instead of cutting someone out is to say, as an educated person in your life, I can't be your friend anymore, but I'm gonna stay on top of you, I'm gonna stay on top of this. And send you this link, send you this resource. Look, I can't force you to take it, but I really hope you do. And it'll be better for you. It'll be better for your future partner. So a question I have is, I understand like not, not needing to fully exile them. Um, 
and that they do have room for growth. But I think the thing that we're talking about was you can't trust them. So I guess in our case specifically, was not deep platforming the correct answer or I'm curious in regards to him on the podcast specifically, what would have been the right choice if we don't want to fully exile him. But I also think that he shouldn't have been given the chance to go through this growth process on the podcast, specifically because you can't trust him. But also I understand wanting to educate other people but it's just a difficult line to navigate so I'm curious as to what you have to say yeah I think there's no one size fits all I really wish there was (laughs) that would make all of our lives a lot easier uh and I think in particular for this with the podcast I think to, I think for every case across the board, taking the survivors' wants and, consi- and wants and needs and asking them, what do you want for accountability? How would you, what would make you feel better? And following those, justice and accountability is a huge part of a survivor's healing process. And to deny the wants of a survivor in turn, can be detrimental to a survivor's healing process. So with this case in particular, it would depend on what the survivor asked for. Uh, In addition to, I mean, in my opinion, I agree that there, in a general, at a general glance, there is benefit to using a specific case as an example for learning and growth, but with this case in particular, moving away from a general and broad scope, it doesn't feel right, in my opinion, it doesn't feel right to keep someone on a podcast who is making money and capitalizing off of growth and learning from a mistake that they made. To me, that doesn't feel right for this specific case. Yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, I I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, you know, during this whole time, I'm trying to keep an open mind to growth and that there's a lot of nuances that we have to take into consideration. But is it always deserved? Because I remember when this situation with Mark happened, I had no sympathy for him. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted him out of my life and to just never speak to him again. And I don't know if that's wrong with me. I mean, I, I still stick by that, but it is it important to always keep an open mind? That's a really good question. Um, I think that kind of goes back to the whole judge and juror thing. We're put in this really shitty position of having to even, even take sympathy into consideration. I don't think I can answer, I think the only answer I can give for that is that your feelings, anyone's feelings, are never right or wrong. Feelings are feelings. You can't 
You can't, I can't change them. It's hard for you to even change your own feelings. It takes a lot of convincing of yourself. Uh, and that's, can take a lot of like mental turmoil. Um, I think having, having sympathy for someone, again, back to a general glance, having sympathy for someone doesn't mean that you can't still be angry and still remove them from your life and still hold them accountable. Having sympathy means nothing more than you are a good person at the core of your being you made a bad choice and you you made a bad choice and you now have the you now have a path you have to choose your path you can choose growth and learning and being proactive or continue to make bad choices and that can influence how you see that person moving forward. That can influence if you still communicate with that person moving forward. But I, in my mind, that's all sympathy is. It has nothing more to do than how you feel about the core of the person. You can still be a good person that has done some really, really, really terrible things. Whether or not you're worth redemption, I don't think that's up for any of us to dictate, really, the worth of a person, you know? I think another thing I was thinking about is how important time is in a lot of these situations. There, I think when you, when this first happened, when the situation came to light, course I have a lot of sympathy I still have hope because of again I think it's it's tricky because it, it depends on every specific case and in this case I felt like it was fair to use my judgment of his character having known him for a couple of years a big part of my life uh, I felt like it was fair to use that in my own rationale as to whether I should still have sympathy for him and still have this trust that he can't hold himself responsible. And that was a big factor um, that influenced my decisions and my feelings towards him. The other one was time and understanding that I can't make many decisions based on the information I had at the time. I think it was now looking forward and saying, how are you going to respond to this? Am I going to see you are you going to go to therapy? Are you going to be, you know, are you going to be reading books about it? When I talk to you next and say like, Hey, like what have you done since then? Are you going to tell me like, yeah, I've been reading a lot of resources. I've been, I've been talking to friends about it. I, you know, actionable things. Will I see that in the future? And that's why I think in the beginning, I, for me, it would also let me wait and see and see if my judgment of his character is right. And if he's deserving of this, and so, is there room for, like, should we, is there, is there a sense of 
you kind of have to wait and see before being able to make any bigger decisions such as unfollowing, you know, not really ever talking to them again. And, you know, how much time should you wait? How many, how much leeway should you give them to kind of actually like process what has happened and then actually go through the steps of taking action? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, time is something we can't control. And I think, I think one thing that I should include in that any educational accountability doesn't absolve someone from punitive accountability. Punitive measures, regardless of their the extent in which they go, can be very, it, I mean, again, every survivor is different. Every survivor has a different healing process and different wants and things like that. And to some survivors, punitive measures do feel good. Can you give some examples of punitive measures? Sure. I mean, well, there's the extreme jail. Mm -hmm. The extreme but rare um, is jail. But I think punitive measures of deplatforming, of anything that someone enjoys and takes for granted being removed or altered from their life, that, I mean, that's, I would consider that punitive. Uh, and again, it's, we're in the unfortunate position in this society where we get to choose, we have the responsibility to choose the extent in which punitive measures are taken when you all have friends, as friends have worked together and have the privilege of working together. Therefore, taking it away is punitive. I think by Mark leaving on his own accord took the chance for punitive measures to be taken, took that chance for justice away from the survivor, to be perfectly honest. I think the decision you made by letting time pass took that chance for justice away from her because in the system and in the world we live in right now, there's no chance she will ever receive, uh, she'll ever receive traditional forms of justice through the legal system. So therefore, I, I think that's kind of, that's, that has to be pretty frustrating for her. And yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine what that must feel like for her to put ourselves in her shoes. Every time I'm dealing with a case or working on a case, whether it be with someone I know personally or professionally, I always try to put myself in the survivor's shoes 
And for, for me personally, that's easy. Having experienced my own experiences with sexual assault and harassment, that's very easy. I can think about what I would have wanted or, and then take into account the specific case and put myself in this specific survivor's shoes. And so that's a big part of making, of decision-making that is always nice moving beyond sympathy into empathy and then going from there. Um, yeah. Like how I feel about your question and your situation is that if you wanted to let time go on and see if he would meet up to your standards or see him change, it should have been on your own personal accord instead of using the podcast as a way to like document it or see it through. And I think that played a role in the decisions we were making and why we couldn't reach a decision for a long time is because I think I all had these intentions that I do understand and I see, but I just wish we didn't let him keep the platform. Yeah, I think for one, I wish I would have done more to, I think I failed in a lot of ways. I failed in not educating myself enough. I definitely made an attempt and I maybe read a book or two and tried contacting people. But when you think about what actual, you know, was I looking at resources? Was I, I contacted Safeway, but was I looking at the resources on the website? I wasn't. And I can't even really understand why I didn't do that. My only guess is clearly maybe there was just a lack of urgency, a lack of empathy, I suppose. Which is, I'm not sure. I, I really don't know why why I didn't. Well, one, more. one thing that's guaranteed in our society is that it's just a matter of time until all of us have, as individuals, this is going to sound very dark, I should preface this with very dark. It is just a matter of time before all of us as individuals are connected to the issue of sexual violence and harassment, either personally, direct, directly, or indirectly. Meaning you'll experience it yourself or someone you know will experience it. That's a guarantee that time can give us, as terrible as that is. And so I think not that that excuses your lack of urgency, but that gives a little bit of understanding as to why you and maybe others feel a lack of urgency when it comes to accountability and justice and education and all the thing and all the things that come with this but both on the prevention side and the healing side and the aftermath side as well um and i think that kind of I think that's why the core of everything we do at Safe Bay is prevention based, followed by 
healing resources amongst other things. And that's why like the newest thing when we first started talking, Gael, the one thing that I started doing in Safe Bay was uh, building our accountability training for this purpose. Because whether you're in a secondary setting, secondary education setting, or a college setting, schools on an official setting, schools don't even know what to do. They have a legal standard to uphold, but very few schools follow the legal standard in which they're supposed to protect survivors. But they don't even know what to do. And so now there is a tangible resource out there called the Safe Base Accountability Training. It's out there and it it talks you through everything from that first conversation. I mean, it's built for people that have been accused to go through the training and to learn from their actions and to make sure they don't commit sexual assault, violence, harassment again. But I think it's a great resource to talk about in this setting because as friends or former friends of people that have been accused, that's a great resource that we should all be sharing with the people in our lives that have work to do. I agree. I, I wish I could have been more responsive to it or been educating myself because even just as you were talking about actual punitive punishment, like it makes so much sense and it's like I it feels like it's already quickly reshaping my old way of thinking and making things so much clearer of okay there before you even mentioned that I was like what does it look like and I was like it's so simple it's just something that isn't a right taken away a privilege taken away I think from a survivor that would feel incredibly fulfilling in any small amount really and so um, and I think if you pull, I've talked to hundreds of survivors through this work and pretty much all of the survivors I have talked to say the same thing and that all they're looking for is personal protections for themselves as well as a guarantee if it's possible, I guarantee that their perpetrator won't harm someone else in the future. I know from talking with survivors, uh, the founders of Safe Bay um, have talked about this a lot and that there is this unmatched level of guilt that can occur when a survivor's perpetrator, if a survivor hasn't reported or if the justice system has failed them or whatever it is, if their perpetrator then goes ahead and harms someone else, there's this crazy level of guilt that a survivor can feel. And so the bar is so low for accountability and justice that all we're looking for is education and a guarantee that they won't harm again in the future and it's there it's accessible it's possible we just need to build awareness around that another thing i want to talk about that i think we might have touched 
a little bit on in the beginning is that this was honestly even a little surprising to me is that sexual assault can be accidental, which feels weird, feels wrong to say because you know, every time I, I've asked people, like, do you believe it can be accidental? It's like a very strict, like, oh my God, no, never. Like, you knew what you were doing. Very black and white terms. So, Safe Bay is one of the organizations that talks about this issue of it can be accidental. So, what does that look like? What is that? What is the morality behind it? I think accidental, I don't, I personally don't want to use the term accidental. Not that it's wrong but I tend to use the phrase intent versus impact. Mm -hmm. So you can have any intention you want, but still cause someone harm. And if we can all grasp that idea, the fact that those two things aren't completely like blended together as one thing, intent and impact, then that'll give us this greater understanding of like, okay, well, regardless of your intent, you caused harm. You can still say, I'm sorry and admit guilt and the fact that you did something wrong, even though you didn't mean to, but so many people that regardless of the context that we're talking about, whether it's sexual assault or really anything, if you tell someone that they've done something wrong many people's automatic response is defense. They're like, oh, well, I didn't mean to. And they're like, okay, well, happy for you that you didn't mean to do this. You still caused a problem. You still caused harm. And that hurt me. You can still apologize for something that you didn't mean to do. And you can still be guilty of something that you didn't mean to do in the first place. So, and I, I think that's, I, that's so important because, mm-hmm. yeah, you can, like, we can bump arms and be like, oh, I didn't mean to, I'm sorry. The I didn't mean to is irrelevant. You still bump someone's arm. You still, you know, and then in this case, you still assaulted someone. That's bad. That person that you harmed is going to live with that for the rest of their lives. And so then that brings me to my next point is that how do we handle our response when there's different levels of severity versus someone, you know, does the context, how, to what extent does the context of an assault or a situation affect how people respond? Um, Like you said, is it's not as black and white as just, isolating them what are some cases where it should be extreme and some cases where it should be treated differently and how do you kind of decide your action based on concepts i think no matter no matter the context uh education is still valuable in terms of punitive measures i think it depends on the justice, the level of justice being sought by the survivor. Um, some survivors choose to report to the police and choose to go through um, a legal case, and some don't. Um, 
And if survivors choose to pursue a legal case, then in most in most uh, cases, then it's clear that they are seeking a level of justice to the highest extent. And so I would say it's really up to the survivor. It's not up to us to dictate the level of harm caused towards the survivor. Therefore, the level of justice warranted or the level of accountability warranted. Even people in jail for sexual assault could still learn, even if they're not going to get out. They should still learn how to do better. And so I think as we near the end of the episode, I just want to talk or have an honest reflection on first my response to it. I covered a little bit of this in the episode, but first of all, I am extremely sorry to the survivor who, through my actions, I caused more harm than good. She came to us and trusted us to take action. and I fully betrayed her trust and didn't do enough. I didn't do enough for her. I didn't hold Mark accountable enough. I didn't educate myself enough on my response. And I truly do feel sorry for that. I, even in the moment, there's, I, I don't want it to seem like I, I didn't take her situation or her feeling seriously, because I did. I, I do want to emphasize how much empathy I had for her and her situation and I really did put myself in her shoes and wanted to help her as much as I could because this issue is very sensitive to me as well and it sucks that I didn't educate myself enough and in the moment I wasn't educated enough to respond in a way that I would now if I knew everything that I do after this conversation I think in the future I hope to First of all, just read the resources that are out there and that are offered. There's really no excuse to have not looked at them. That is, I think, incredibly embarrassing on my part to not have made any effort to look because I'm here talking about how bad I felt, but clearly there was no action for my part. Um, Action that should have been clear from the beginning. So I I do want to do better myself. to hold my friends accountable, uh, hold the people that cause the harm accountable as well. And hopefully by sharing this on this public platform and very publicly sharing our mistakes, I hope you listening can also take some of what I've said and, and, and see if you need to do some reflection and work as well, because Ultimately, I, I agree. Like, I think the education system has failed us, and we could all be doing a little bit more. Thomas and I are re recording our parts of the apology because we felt that our emotions were pretty high at that time, and we just want to restate what we said without having anything get in the way. And we just want to be clear and not let anything get in the way of our apology to her. Yeah, so if it sounds different, this is why.
I of course feel very sorry and guilty towards her. I think she was the one to come to me first about with what had happened and I feel I betrayed her, especially because, you know, just woman to woman, she placed this trust in me that I would do the right thing and I feel that I just misplaced that trust and it makes me feel really guilty and obviously bad about myself and I, I'm sorry towards her that I didn't push for more. I just accepted things as they were really and I didn't push myself to question the authority or the statement of oh it's just not possible or we just can't do it because whether it's going to mess up the dynamic or legality reasons behind it I I should have done a better job at pushing to get him off of the podcast because he didn't deserve to be on there at all and so for that I'm really sorry I I really really did a disservice towards you um and you don't deserve that so I'm really sorry about that <clears throat> I also think I could have done a better job with just educating myself myself on what accountability looks like I had no idea what to do really I just I knew what I wanted to do, but I knew what was going to happen, and I felt that I had no power or say or anything over the situation, and so I just felt hopeless and frozen, but I, aside from that, I should have just been educating myself on what accountability, accountability looks like, and just educating myself. I wish I could have been there for her even just as a friend but again I know that whatever happened happened and it's just not possible and you know it's just something to make peace with but I'm sorry towards her for playing a role and causing so much harm she's a great person obviously didn't deserve this but I'm just so so sorry there's really nothing else I say that I can there's nothing I can say or do to change what has happened and I have to realize that and I hope that she's able to take some peace from this through it all and if she refuses to accept what we're saying I completely accept that and I totally understand because if I were in her situation I would feel the exact same way so I I truly just wish her the best and I hope that she's able to move past from this and that this will help in her healing journey. The last thing I want is for this to feel like an excuse or for people to feel bad for us. This doesn't change or fix anything that we've done and nothing can change what has happened. This situation has shown me that there was more that I could have done for her and that I shouldn't have gave up, I shouldn't have settled on what was happening, and I should have kept fighting for her. We don't deserve any sort of forgiveness or sympathy, but I hope we took the right steps to hold ourselves accountable. I'm sorry for everything.